Oh, hey, listen, try this. I told my weed guy to step it up and he gave me that. What is this? It's called Mind Rape. It's actually pretty mellow. Well, he only had three other batches. Uh, Gorilla Panic, uh, They're Coming, They're Coming, and something called This Is Permanent. If you have a milkshake. Troll team. Are there any trolls in the <laughs> There is not a single troll. <laughs> he has morals, even though he's an atheist. You cannot say something like that. <laughs> I was the guy throwing the Molotov cocktail. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime the Queen was on the screen, you had to be drinking constantly. <laughs> it is hard to like this film. <laughs> I don't want to be interactive with Liam Neeson's cock. <laughs> <laughs> oh the movie wave. It's just good fun. Hello and welcome to the Movie Wave podcast. I am your host, Sergio Calvo, and with me today we have film critic Susanna Marchant. Hello. Hello, Susanna. And film and television critic Mark Granger. Hello. This is the Christmas special episode, uh, episode number 29. It's an episode full of content because we are doing a double bill, actually. We'll be talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, uh, The Master, uh, the perfect family film for for the religious festivities. <laughs> and we, we'll, all, we'll also talk about the even more Christmassy and a politically incorrect co comedy, uh, Tet. And if you think these titles aren't Christmassy enough, we're, we're also going to recommend some actual Christmas films. Uh, and, and it's snowing outside, so it couldn't get more Christmassy here. Okay, so let's start with our Christmas recommendations. What movies uh, would you guys recommend to watch uh, on this uh, Christmas holiday? I mean, I have uh, three or four films which get rolled out every Christmas. <laughs> Anyone who listened last year will know that I'm pretty much fanatical about The Muppets Christmas Carol, so I don't think I need to say anything more on that. Uh, apart from that, my favourite is The Nightmare Before Christmas, the Tim Burton mm -hmm. classic when he still made good films. Oh, um, that's sitting. That's that's the film I picked last year. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent <laughs> film. It's, it is it's, an it should film. Be, it should be on everyone's list. Um, but my second favourite actual Christmassy film is uh, Scrooge with Bill Murray. Right. I don't think it's a fine adaptation of The Christmas Carol with real people in. It doesn't actually involve Muppets. <laughs> so, or at least not a great deal of them. But it's just, you know, it, it still stands up even as, as it's, although it's, you know, from the 80s, it stands up really well as a modern retelling. There's, there's nothing that really ages it or anything. Um, and it's, you know, it's Bill Murray at the height of his powers and what's not to love. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security, have them change his locks and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. Oh, watch out. He's a thoughtful boss. Thanks, boys. Get the nurse. A generous brother. What did he give you last year? Uh, I don't remember. A shower curtain. I think you dropped something here. And a true humanitarian. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We've tried crazy glue. Have you tried staples? But his life is about to change. That was a good one. You are going to be visited by three ghosts tomorrow at noon. God, tomorrow's bad for me, Lou. As a matter of fact, the whole rest of the week is a washout. I don't think I've seen that film since the since probably the 80s. Is that an 80s or a 90s film? That might be very, very early 90s. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is brilliant. There's so many bits that I, I watch it every year and I still manage to forget just how fantastic some bits of it actually are. <laughs> All right, I need to check that out. Probably I'll do that this Christmas. Susanna, your Christmas pick. You see, I've been thinking about it and I find it really hard to say, to recommend anything because I'm not a great fan of Christmas films. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's because most of them are so similar and it's just the story is always the same. And so the oldest ones are the best ones. So, so obviously... Um, yeah, Tim Burton, obviously, um, and and also I think my other half will make me watch Rudolph again, um, which is incredibly old. And and if you watch it, I mean, obviously you know it's fun and Christmassy and it puts you in the mood, you know, for Christmas. And, and but at the same time, you just watch it and you can't believe how sexist and racist the film is. Sorry, Susanna, you said 
the name of the film was Rudolph. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know there was a film like about the reindeer. It's very old. It's um, stop motion. Um, right. So okay. basically, they just use puppets and stuff and oh, whatever. I don't think they're puppets. They're like little stuffed animals or something. And and because it's so old, I'm not really. I'm, I'm not really sure. I want to say 60s, but I might be maybe 50s even. Um, it's obviously in color and and there's lots of singing, you know, and stuff like that. But because because it's dated, it's really incredibly sexist and racist at times. And and there is there is just kind of it's just weird watching it. How you think? Oh my goodness! You know, children used to watch this. <laughs> now, now you can take it with a. You, uh, now you can watch and you can appreciate. You know, this was ages ago. And, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a but, film of its time. Exactly. <laughs> Join Rudolph in a trip to the island of misfit toys. Meet Yukon Cornelius, the funniest prospector of the north. Gad Zeus, the bumper snow monster of the north, strikes again. Meet Santa's elves and hear seven original Christmas songs. Burl sings. Have a holly jolly Christmas. But at the same time, you can tell, you know, it's it, it's Christmassy and 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 it kind of is nice. But then, um, I can't remember. I'm, I'm afraid I, I lost the title. I just I just had it and I lost it. The um, old film with uh, Fred Astaire, Christmas Christmas uh, film. What's the title? Is it uh, White Christmas? I th- it may have been. Oh goodness, I really can't remember that. Sure. Um, Probably not recommend this one if you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's I'm, not very memorable. <laughs> I said no. Okay, okay. I'm not. Um, I, I'm not too educated on Christmas films. I mean, I think I'm learning from you right now. I don't know that many. Can I give an honourable mention to? Obviously, it's a wonderful life. I think that has to be included mm-hmm. uh, just the black and white version still I know they've, they've colorized it and I'm sure it's very impressive but I think it should be watched in black and white um, also Santa Claus the movie the 80s one because it's just it's so cheesy it's so and so very 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 80s um, it's Dudley Moore as an, as an elf who runs away oh. from Santa to prove that he, he has better more uh, more modern techniques of making toys and he, he runs afoul of John Lithgow as an evil toy maker. And it, it, it's incredibly corny, but if you grew up with it, you'll probably love it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I can could, I could still watch it as a cheesy 80s film to be reminded of my childhood. I'm not sure if anyone watching it now would get quite the same thrill. But I, d- I don't know, it's, it's something so very big-hearted about it that I find it hard not to watch it at least every other Christmas. <laughs> The, right. the the older the older one somehow maybe it's because if you grow you know grow up on certain films at, at Christmas it just warms your heart to watch them again even if they're corny yeah. or even if they're bad you still feel oh this is what Christmas is you watch the film and you suddenly feel Christmassy again yeah yeah and 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 the new ones the newer ones I don't really appreciate them as much because I didn't grow up on them and they all seem similar. There's always some sort of a story about Christmas spirit and how it makes it all magic and actual magic exists and things like that. The the weird thing for me with the new ones is that for some reason to convey the spirit of Christmas, you have to have a main character who starts off as a dick. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure sure why that's entirely necessary. Like the Santa Claus, uh, Tim Allen, and uh, Fred Claus released a couple of years ago, Vince Vaughn. It's just, you know, it's like the old ones just start off with people being generally who they are or having Santa Claus there as, at the start and nobody is a massive prick while they're, while they're handing out presents. I just think that that's what, you know, there's that slightly cynical edge where you're saying that people have to be shown the media Christmas. I don't think you do. I think it's just there. And that's what the old yeah. films are for for me. It's modern, modern um, Christmas Carol, isn't it? I mean, I know, I know Scrooge is obviously the ultimate but it's just, <laughs> there's no need to, to try and replicate that so much without mm. without seeing you're a Christmas Carol. You know what I mean? If you're doing a Christmas Carol, if you do, you know Scrooge as an example, it's an adaptation. But don't try and dress it up as something that it's not, because they all just end up looking the same by trying not to be and trying to be different. So that, that's what annoys me slightly about new Christmas films. Well, <laughs> and you can also watch uh, Bad Santa, where. Um, 
Uh, Billy Bob Thornton is a dick as well. Like he's... <laughs> I must admit, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> so he's, he's supposed to be Santa. Okay, he 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 gets his job is to be Santa. He gets dressed as Santa. Mm -hmm. But you know, alcohol, okay, alcoholic and all that. <laughs> I checked it. So the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer is 1964. And so you're, um, you're taking us back a long time, eh? Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I did mean White Christmas, which is kind. You know. It's, Films that are old and, and Christmas 1954. So there is a lot of uh, there's Bing Crosby, um, not for Lester, Bing Crosby and Danny Kay, and uh, it, it you know obviously it's corny and there's lots of a lot of dancing and singing which I always find hard to buy, but it puts me in the Christmas mood I think. <laughs> that's uh, that's all you need then. Yeah, Just to they get all... the Christmas mood. All these but goodies. <laughs> all right, my my Christmas movie is uh, Gremlins. Oh, <laughs> good choice. <laughs> I I think I first watched this film uh, in the theater when it when it came out. Uh, it was 1984, and it automatically became one of my favorite films ever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it tells the story of uh, of a boy who receives uh, as a Christmas present a very exotic pet, mm -hmm. and what makes this pet so special for those who haven't seen the film. Is that to take care of it? You, you must follow three very important rules, and if you don't, then some uh, bad stuff happens. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight, because when they do. They change. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. What are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. <laughs> Gremlins. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. It's basically a monster movie that combines horror and comedy. Uh, it was uh, directed by um, Joe Dante. Uh, which was a big director in, in, in the in the eighties. He made horror films like Piranha, Piranha and uh, The Howling as well. Yeah. And, uh, and the film was produced by Steven Spielberg, who actually has a very short cameo in, in the film. He, if you if you look closely, he's the, the guy riding an, an electric bicycle in a convention of uh, inventions. He's got a very short moment in it. Uh, the film was pretty much directed to a very young audience, uh, like uh, I would say, like most of the Spielberg productions of the of the 1980s. And there are many many scenes that are quite memorable, but there is one particular scene that really st uh, stuck with me, uh, in which the the boy's mother finds her house full of monsters and uh, she defends herself by killing everyone in very different and, and very creative ways. One, one of them gets killed in the blender, another, another one in the microwave. I, and uh, it's funny because it's a, it's a scene of genuine uh, horror. Uh, and I think it's quite shocking for a children's movie. But the horror is always uh, handled with the uh, little touches of uh, comic relief. Just, just watching the gremlins singing the Christmas carols is it's quite hilarious. And I'm I watched watch that tomorrow now. Oh, you should, <laughs> you should. My, I watched, my, I watched uh, it not long ago. <laughs> I, I watched it recently, and uh, I think the the visual effects are still stand up. Uh, and I actually appreciate the, the, the lack of CGI. So, so yeah, the, the, it, it stands up. Uh, it's a combination of uh, modern, well, modern for the time visual effects with the very good old-fashioned storytelling. And it has many references to classic films. Uh, I know you mentioned... Before uh, Frank Capra's "What a Wonderful Life," there, there, are, there are many references to, to, to this particular one. Uh, so very high in imagination, uh, movie magic, uh, and it's great for Christmas. So that's 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 my pick, Gremlins. Good choice. <laughs>
Now, just we reminder to our loyal listeners, uh, the Movie Wave podcast is nominated for this year's European Podcast Award. You're still in time to vote for us. You go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the movie wave and click on the link provided. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe for free on iTunes and every new episode will be automatically downloaded to your computer or your smartphone. Find our episode archive at themoviewave.podbean.com and enjoy many hours of movie talk. Right, let's have a short break and we'll be back talking about... Ted. People let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person who loved me till the end. People let me tell you about my best friend. He's a one-boy cuddly toy. My up, my down, my pride and joy. People let me tell you about him. He's so much fun. Whether we're talking man to man or whether we're talking son to son. Cause he's my best friend. Yeah, he's my best friend. We are back and it's time to talk about Ted. It uh, all starts when a boy makes a wish on Christmas Day. He wants uh, his teddy bear to, to talk to him and to be his friend forever. And thanks to the magic of Christmas, the wish comes true. And the boy soon becomes Mark Wahlberg in a four-year relationship with Mila Kunis, who wants him to spend more time with her and less time with the teddy bear. I love you. <laughs> I don't I don't understand. I really don't. Oh, 35 man. years old and you're still scared of a little thunder. Time to buddies for life, right, Johnny? Right. I'm only saying this because I love you. Please ask Ted to move out. Laurie, you're home early. Who are these girls? Oh, my God. Where are my manners? Laurie, this is Angelique, Heavenly, Shireen, and Sauvignon Blanc. I swear to God, her name is Sauvignon Blanc. Show your Chevron card. Right, what do you guys think of that? I'll let Susanna go first, as always. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> for nothing. Merry Christmas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Okay, well, um, I, I quite like uh, Family Guy. Right, because Family Guy is a certain specific type of humor... I kind of expected that to be also in Ted, because, you know, if, if it's written and directed by the same guy, then I would kind of ex expect the similar type of humor. But obviously, I think it had to be diluted um, and kind of um, toned down for, for, other, for, for wider audiences, basically. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't anything special. I mean, it was just a, 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 another typical American movie. A guy has a girl, a guy messes up, he tries to get the girl back, something bad happens, it brings them back, you know, together. And with a bit of sprinkling of magic. So I, I wouldn't really say that there was anything special about the film. Um, so you're basically just, saying it's quite formulaic. It is. At times, obviously, it was funny, mm -hmm. but but I don't think that, that there were enough funny moments, at least not for me. All right. um, it was. I think it was just basically trying to to maybe be a film about how um, all men need to grow up at one point and just stop being children, but uh, I don't know. It's just it was just it was just an, an ordinary American film, Hollywood, you know, film. Nothing special to me anyway. All right, Sorry Mark, for um, bringing the, the mood down. No, no, that's that's fine. That's fine. Uh, You know, the, you, some films we like them, some films we don't like them as much. It's normal. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Um, yeah, I'd be tempted to agree to most of that. I mean, it was it was very watchable, but I think with Seth MacFarlane being involved, and, and he does Family Guy, and he does American Dad, and they're both quite different. Personally, I prefer American Dad, but I think it was a film that didn't quite know what it wanted to do. So it had a lot of different areas that it kept darting between. So you had like the part of the relationship story, you had the bit of the bromance story, and then you had the bit of the mad caper near the end. And I just think it didn't know where to settle into that. 
Um, uh, it, as a result, as as I said, I think it, it was diluted to the point of being very safe, which I think is not what people expect from Seth MacFarlane. Certainly not what I expected. Um, and like we said, that there's plenty of films with a similar sort of style, but I'd say ones that do better. I mean, things like Role Models. That was a Paul Rudd film. Mm-hmm. Similar sort of style about obviously about growing up and you know, looking after other people, but. There was just it had more of a charm of its own, whereas Ted, I think, set out to be so many things and didn't know what it wanted to do, and it just it ended up being so safe that you just thought, well, if you take out Seth MacFarlane and the odd joke, it's it's just a sort of it's an almost gentle film. There wasn't there wasn't anything that really made me sit up and take notice of it, even on the joke side. It was, you know, it just it didn't go as far as you would have expected, and I think it suffered for that. I think if it, if it should have set out its stall a bit more strongly, and be yeah. a bit more, maybe a bit bit more shocking. I mean, as I said, there, there was it did have its moments, and it actually made me like Mark Wahlberg, which is unusual. Um, <laughs> I really, really don't like Mark Wahlberg, but maybe that just shows how good an actor he is that he could actually make me like him in a film. Um, so you never know. But yeah, I mean, obviously, the big centerpiece for me was having Flash Gordon there. Um, that bit worked really well. But as I say, it was. As Susanna says, it was it was quite formulaic in a way that you, you could pretty much see almost everything coming. And if you took out some of the star names and cameos, I don't think and the, the, the writer, I just don't think it would have been anywhere near as highly received as it was. Yeah, mm. and the pop culture references as well. Yeah, oh, that that was that was my. I think what probably saved it for me was like the the Flash Gordon sequences, especially oh. the bit which which mirrored oh. the actual film. <laughs> Um, I, I, so, yeah. I, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, you know, some of the jokes fell a bit flat to me. I mean, there was, I, I mean, I'm not touchy about it in the slightest, but there was a fair few 9/11 references which I just thought fell absolutely on their face. Um, right. It just, it was, it wasn't like shocking to the point where you go, "Ooh, like I'm really annoyed." I like that. <laughs> it was just like, mm, "There's another, like you know, 9/11 joke 11 years ago." It was a bit pointless. And so just, you know, things like the script just wasn't as sharp. And I think Seth MacFarlane's done, he's, he's made a safe film, which has been dressed up to make it look like it's a bit edgier than it actually was. All right. Well, I agree with all of the things you said. Uh, I agree with uh, what Susanna said about the film being formulaic, because I think it is. Mm. Uh, also, the fact that it's got many things into it. Um, I also agree that they don't take it too far. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, Mark, wished they had taken it a bit farther. The humor, yeah, uh, especially some of the physical stuff. I just, I just think there should be there should be more moments in a film like that, right. which really make you sit up. I mean, if, if you took out the fact that there's a, a CGI bear and if you turned that into a real person, it wouldn't have affected the film that much, really, uh-huh. apart from a couple of jokes. And that, that's where the, yeah. the idea of it being formulaic comes into it. I just think it's as, as if it's going to stand out. I think they should have made the script or the humor stand out a bit more, as opposed to the fact that saying it's CGI as opposed to another actor. Right. Well, I think the the best way to describe the I think the right word to to describe this film is silly. Uh, I, I think it's well, not just silly; it's just offensive. It's gross. You know, it's gross out humor, politically incorrect. It's infantile. And the, the characters throw many racist and homophobic comments that might offend many people. But I think these are just attributes of the characters, not, not really the film. And it's, it's, it's done very tongue-in-cheek as well. And, and that's something that becomes clear early in the film and, and, and allows the, I think it allows the humor to flow a, a, a bit better. Uh, so uh, I wasn't too bothered by, by, by all that. Although I, th- I thought I would be bothered by that because... Uh, I don't know the the idea of the film. I thought before I watched the film, I thought it was story, uh, terrible, and uh, you know maybe because I and I, I, I never seen any of these things like Family Guy, American Guy. I'm not familiar with all these things, and I, I'm also like I was never a fan of South Park and uh, sweating cartoons and stuff like that. So I started watching it with a lot of prejudice. I, I think I already made up my mind that I wasn't going to like it. And in the beginning, I didn't laugh at all. Uh, most of the jokes fell a bit flat for me, as you, you Mark said. But the, mo- the movie slowly warned me. Uh, the, 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 and uh, I think I ended up really enjoying it. And 
there is one particular scene and I think it's you know it's the, the it's the it's it's the the scene that I finally said okay I'm 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 with you I'm with the film it's the scene that at the party that made me laugh so much that I was almost in tears that involves uh, Flash Gordon and all that <laughs> but yeah I think uh, uh, just to sum it up I think I think it's it's a lot of fun uh, I, it, it made me laugh and I think it uh, it did the job for me <laughs> so I think I liked it a little bit more than you you guys did. I mean, I, d- I didn't hate it. I, I just, I think I had higher expectations than what were, what was met from it. Um, yeah, and I as, as I said, there's other films in a similar vein which I'd go to first. So, do you do you guys recommend this film? Or it's not worth your your time? Or I wouldn't turn people off it. It's just right. personally, I, I expected something a bit sharper than what was delivered. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't say don't go, definitely don't go see it, because it's rubbish. Uh-huh. I just say, just be warned that, you know, it's a typical uh, typical rom-com, really. It is. Uh, that just happens to have a CGI bear in it. Uh-huh. That's, that talks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the main idea, that's, that's the main co- concept of the film. Well, I'd love to see that on the DVD box. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I personally wouldn't recommend it to to children, but as, <laughs> possibly not. No. As, as, as an adult comedy, I think I think it is funny. Uh, it can be very obscene at times, but at, at the same time, it also it shows a heart. Uh, the, the, there is a good chemistry. I think there is a good chemistry between uh, Mark Wahlberg and Mila Kunis. And uh, Mark Wahlberg, I think, as as you Mark said, I think he's never been more likable in a film. Uh, you know, and I wanted I, I wanted them to be together, and I, I also felt for the teddy bear. So you know, good good for it's, Christmas. It's but... very hard not to like Mila Kunis. I find I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think I've, I don't think I've not because yeah. she's incredibly pretty. But just right. I think she's uh-huh. she's a very likable actress, and always she's always got a good screen presence. Like you know, she does, Sarah she does. Marshall and stuff like it's that. Not, it's, it's not just the looks. Yeah, uh, but again, don't show it to children. Now we, we're gonna let Mark go, but uh, before he goes, he's gonna pick a Christmas song for us. Uh, we will play. Oh. Uh, we will play at the very end of the podcast, and that song is <laughs> the li- actually the, the the listeners don't know what what song you picked, Mark, because uh, I'm gonna bleep that. But they, uh. will, they they will find out at the very end of the podcast. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Alright, Mark, thank you for joining uh, the show, or at least half the show. (laughs) Pleasure as always. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you back soon for a full show. And uh, Merry Christmas. You too. Have a lovely time. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now let's have a wee break and we'll be back talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. it's time to talk about The Master. It's the latest film by legendary Hollywood director Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, who plays Freddy, a psychologically damaged Marine who comes back home from war and finds a place in a cult with a very charismatic leader, The Master, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. So let's say he comes back from the Second World War. It's not the current war. <laughs> It's not it's set in the it's a it's a it's a period drama. <laughs> so basically, uh, Freddy undergoes a long and unconventional treatment, but will he be cured? There will be people on the outside who will not understand the condition you men have. Now, upon your shoulders rests the responsibility of a post-war world. And smile. You can start a business. 
filling station, grocery, or hardware store. Get a few acres of land and raise some chickens. You have a break coming? Ten minutes. If the average civilian had been through the same stresses that you have been through, undoubtedly they too would have developed the same nervous condition. You must understand. You want to get the lady back. How did I get down here? You're acting aggressive because you drink too much alcohol. What do you do? I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man, just like you. <laughs> He's been writing all night. You seem to inspire something in him. What we will do now will urge you toward existence within a group, society or family. Good science, by definition, allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. And this is where we are at. To have to explain ourselves. For what? The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. You know, you should wake up, Val. Your father's speaking. You might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? Well, spoiler alert for those listeners who haven't seen the film. Uh, we're going to start now talking about the master. Right, Susanna, what do you think of the master? Well, I was I was torn really watching it because on one hand I could I could tell that this is a film with with really with great potential and some really great performances, but at the same time I didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Um so Basically, it feels like it's a long film where not much seems to happen, but a lot happens underneath. Um, so, the but the problem is that all those things that happen underneath, you don't really see them that much. So, suddenly something happens and you don't know why that happened, because the film is, seems to be fascinated with itself and it's very repetitive. So um, I wasn't really blown away. Mm-hmm. There were things there that did really impress me, um, like um, Hoffman's um, acting. He was—I thought he was really great as the the, the guru, the master. He was fantastic. Um, I think he—I think he stole the show. I really do. Um, and so, so his presence was was very very strong, and um, and I really was impressed by 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 him um but it seems to me that all in all not much happened and the film was really long so something <laughs> it was wasn't it it was like two hours and 20 minutes two hours and a half so, was it? something something like that i i can't remember i know that i i sat down at the cinema i think it was 230 or something so i know there is commercials and whatever but I left the cinema and I look at the clock. It was five o'clock. I thought, how did that happen? It's funny because so, I, I recently watched uh, Pants Drunk Love, which is another uh-huh. film he made, and that's really, yes. really short. It's like one hour and twenty minutes or something. So oh, he, okay. he, he, he either makes really long films or really short. Yeah. He doesn't make anything in between. <laughs> well, I thought I thought the the film was kind of a character study. It wasn't really based on action. It was about the people, right? It was about the the two main characters. It was a character study with n- no real st- story. It was well acted and w- and filmed. Even I don't think it was spectacularly filmed, but it was well filmed. Um, and and it isn't really clear what the film is actually about. So is it about it? It's probably it's it's so it's just basically um, focusing on two people and and where they come from and um, their relationship with one another, but not much happens in it. <laughs> so that was my, my main my main uh, problem with the film, um, because I thought it, it, it had such such amazing potential. But um, so so that was my, my, my yeah that was my main problem with right. it. Not right. much. Well, you, said, you said many interesting things actually. Uh, and I'm gonna go through some of them. Uh, but first of all, I want to say that I was kidding when I, when I first said that uh, it was the perfect family film for Christmas. There's, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing really Christmassy about it. In fact, I think it's a very serious film. Uh, 
It's definitely uh, not for families. Not for families, although the, the, it is a family film in a way that you know you can understand the cult like a family in some way, you know. Yes. But yeah. uh, as, it's, it's, as you said, it's a it's a character film. It's a film. Well, film. Very. It's very well used the term film because uh, it it was actually shot in the seventy millimeters, so you can see the ambition and the scope that they had there. But mm-hmm. uh, basically, a character film where there isn't much plot, and uh, in some way, I, I, I admire a little bit the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, disregard for for plot. And also, mm-hmm. uh, love how uncompromising the film is. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I think uh, he makes he makes the films that he wants to make. It's uh, probably this one is probably the, le- the least accessible from all the films that we've seen from Paul Thomas Anderson. And it's not an easy film to watch. Uh, it is very unconventional. It is challenging, and it is the kind of film that when you come out of the theater, you're not sure if you liked it or not. But mm-hmm. it's also a film that. I think that transcends and it stays with you, and uh, it's also very dense. Uh, and even if it seems that, uh, as you said, there's not much happening, uh, at, at, at least you know technically every shot is perfectly framed, and there is so much attention to detail. But then, when it comes to the performances, also there is a lot of nuance, and there is there, there are many things going on that probably can uh, can be more appreciated in, the, in, in a second view. And the performances, as you said, Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. Both performances are quite big. Some some people might argue that they are a bit showy. Uh, maybe maybe Joaquin Phoenix' performance is a little bit more showy because it's got more more into it, more more uh, more ticks, more things going on. But uh, I don't know. If, I don't know for you, uh, Susanna. Which who do you think wins the acting battle? <laughs> um. It's kind of yeah. You see, it's 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 interesting because. And in any, film, any any Oscar predictions? For <laughs> uh, I'd rather not. But uh, it's it's what I find interesting is that Freddy and the Master, you know, fight in the film in a way, and so does uh, Phoenix and Hoffman. Uh, so and so do Phoenix and Hoffman. It's co- kind of like a battle. Uh, uh, of the p- performances there, but um, for me, for me, goodness, Hoffman, I think, was a bigger presence, um, but Phoenix, maybe it was his, maybe it was done on purpose that he he took on those ticks and and weird facial expressions and. And and kind of the little the, the hump in in his back the the, the constant shuffling of his feet. Um, it was a great physical performance, I think. Um, but after a while, I thought maybe the, the I felt there wasn't much more to it. So, the I mean, obviously they were both great, and and they had to do a lot of character studies and and really understand the characters because the film focused on them so much so i think that they did a great job both of them but for me hoffman was better i would agree with you i think i think hoffman is a, is a better uh, the performance is much better in this one uh, and he, he, he probably dragon phoenix's performance is a bit a bit more showy maybe a bit more of an oscar performance let's say but the, mm. the, the real, the true performance, I think, is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's. But le, le, let me talk about the acting and all, not just the acting, the characters and ca- how the characters are reflected in the acting, because I think the characters mm-hmm. are so so well drawn and then so well acted as well. We have mm-hmm. uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who's playing Freddy, is uh, psychologically scarred, let's say, by by the war. Yes. So we, and that's reflected in all these facial texts uh, that you said. Uh, the bent body, the the poor speech as well. Um, yeah, he's also sex obsessed. <laughs> yeah, we, we see him having sex in the beach with a woman made of sand. And mm. also, there is another scene where he visualizes people naked as well. He's also an alcoholic, and we, we he makes a lot of dangerous alcoholic blends uh, using. Uh, at some point, he's using a paint thinner. And uh, they described the the behavior of uh, Freddy at some point as erratic. Uh, he he provokes people. He fights with a customer while working as a photographer. He's like he's very unpredictable. Uh, he's quite kind of an uneasy presence. He mm-hmm. he fights 
everyone who criticizes or challenges the dot and uh, and his ideas. So he's kind of a force of nature. You know when he's this scene when he's in jail and he's disappointed by the idea that Lancaster might be a, an impostor. So he smashes the toilet and then he hits the the high bed with his head. So he's kind of pure animal instinct. So in mm-hmm. some in some way the, you, you can tell the performance has to be a bit stronger. It has to be a bit more showy. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, the, who plays Lancaster or uh, Lancaster Dot, he's the master and the leader of the philosophical movement uh, known as the Cause. He's the, the confident character, very charismatic. He's kind of a performer, uh, and during his daughter wedding, we, we see him constantly calling for attention. His speeches are very engaging. He's a very good storyteller. He's the, let's say, he's the protagonist, and uh, he in, he introduces himself. As a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher, but overall he's he's a man. That's what he says. But the funny thing mm-hmm. is that he might he might be none of that. <laughs> so uh, and he's uh, he's inspired by uh, the founder of the Scientology, L.R. Uh, L.R. Hubbard. I think uh, like uh, that's what. Uh, Attracted media attention to the film that they were gonna. This, well, it was gonna be the film about Scientology. Well, but but didn't the filmmakers deny that? The, the basically they did. everybody they did. saying well, they didn't that... deny it was inspired in in the character of uh, mm. Hubbard, but they, they denied that it was based on it. Obviously, mm, there was okay. some inspiration, but then they, they then they, they they took a different direction. Then they they took. Mm. They took parts. Uh, I think I think I heard the director. That part of the story was already written, and then he decided to add the story of Hubbard. So they kind of make a mix on, of many different elements. But uh, it's an original story anyway. And uh, well, the, uh, one thing is clear that I think people expected that the film was going to be very critical of uh, Scientology, and I, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was critical of uh, of the leader of the cult or the cult. And I think it has actually a very human approach to to to, to the characters. Well, look, we we see how uh, the character of Lancaster Dodd is trying to straighten up Freddy. To, it's kind of like he's trying to tame the beast. That at some point he probably was himself because we it's see, like his project or something. Yes, yes, and mm. and, and I believe he does it because maybe he he has like a demon inside as well. Eh? Because we see traces of uh, this kind of beast. Coming out in in, in the yeah. in the scene where he's challenged by a party guest is one mm-hmm. of I think it's one of the best moments in the film. That actually contains the funniest swear word I ever heard in a in a serious mm-hmm. film. At least in, a, in an epic a, a period drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the the it, it's it's about a cult. Uh, I said it was a period drama because it takes place in the fifties. But obviously there. Uh, recently, we have seen many films that had uh, cults as the subject. We, I don't know if you've seen uh, Martha, uh, Marcy May Marlene, that uh, came out a year ago, which I thought it was, no. it was great. Then we had Kevin Smith's Red State. Uh, mm. th- there's another film uh, by Vera Farmiga, uh, Higher Ground, which I saw this year. I thought it was excellent. Uh, then I think, uh, uh, well, I. I know Eyes Wide Shut is not really about a cult, and it's, it was made actually quite some time ago, but uh, there is a secret society involved in this film. And I think a lot of the new scenes that we see in the uh, in the master reminded me a lot of Kubrick, and Kubrick has been compared to PTA, and PTA um, quite, quite, quite a few times. I think he's been quite a big influence in him. So we see a little bit of Kubrick in it, but it's definitely not a war movie. Although the the the, the war is kind of present in the film, you, we don't really see war because there are no battle scenes. But we see some of the, let's say, some of the effects. You know, we, the, the the film starts at the, uh, at the at at the beginning of the film. We hear on the radio it's the end of war, and then we, we in the battleship we see the doctors guiding the marines and uh, doing some psychological assessments. So there is there is. Uh, the, the effect of war is the consequences of war are, are, are there. Another thing, important thing that I, that I noticed there are not just in these films, but in a lot of uh, uh, P.T. P. Anderson's films, uh, is discomfort. I don't know if you felt that while watching the films. What do you think? This, discomfort. Discomfort. Sorry. Um, do, do you feel tense while while watching? Do you feel tense while watching uh, the master? Uh, not or, really. Or, or the most films. of 
most of the time, uh, while watching the film, most of the time, I felt a little bored. Um, Which is fascinated, fascinated by fascinated by uh, some of the characters, and basically just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> I didn't really feel much discomfort. There were a few scenes uh, with Phoenix um, that made me kind of, you know, cringe. Not because All they right, were bad okay. scenes, but because not because they were badly done or because there were bad scenes, but because I felt for him as a character, because right. he was such a messed up person, he was. and he was just and he was just getting his life worse and worse. So, so that's why I would I would cringe sometimes, but but I didn't really feel much discomfort in 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 uh, other scenes, just kind of scenes where he would just basically mess up his life even more. What when the there is this guy who is posing for the photograph, and you see Jackie Fennis, he's harassing him. And all the, yes. That's quite, yeah. quite, quite uncomfortable to, to watch, uh, also for the audience, not just for the for the character. I don't know. For, was, for, yeah. Sorry, so go ahead. No, 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 I was agreeing. <laughs> I was agreeing. I, I, think, I think he likes that. He likes uh, putting the audiences out of uh, their comfort zone. Uh, the scenes... I don't, you said that you were bored at times, and I was. Yes. I think I think the scenes are always a bit longer than the audience expect. Yeah. I think it's kind of testing the the patience. You know, some scenes can be a little tiring. Yeah. Uh, in, and I think he he's kind of like how would he, how would I say that he doesn't go with what audiences expect, and like he doesn't mm-hmm. give what people want. Um. Another issue in the film uh, is that you you brought up is the fact that the, the film doesn't really get to any clear conclusion. It doesn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of ends the way it started. And I, yeah. and I, and I read a review uh, from a critic from The Guardian who said that a film shouldn't end the way it started. I don't know what you think mm. about that statement. Well, uh, I suppose he was trying something where... Uh, you, you're you're just telling the audiences, you, you know, you're here for uh, sort of you're here for the experience, but don't expect me to give you the answers. So so there is a, a sort of a sort of a conclusion, but it's not a conclusion. So basically, he's just teasing you, saying you don't know what happens next, um, and it might be terrible. It might be all right. You you just have no idea. So I don't know. I mean, if you're wanting to experiment, I mean, you know, it's it's an art form in a way. So if you're wanting, if you're willing to experiment and try and do a film which basically ends the same way it started, then you know, be my guest. Just um, you have to expect some people to to really not like that. Most people, when they go to watch a film, they expect a sort of a conclusion because it's a story what they're watching. It's a story. So there are characters, there's some action, something happens to them, there is a conclusion. So if there isn't a conclusion, then then some people will be very disappointed. I wasn't that bothered by it. I don't I, I don't know. Uh, there are many there are many things about this film but I don't really know what to think about uh, and I did put yeah. a lo- I did put a lot of thought into this film. I still haven't figured out what the what the point is that the the uh, P.T. Anderson is trying to make, or, or if there is any. Uh, maybe that's the point. Exactly. Maybe that's the point. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to, maybe it's supposed to be on your mind forever, and you'll never be able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, because we see, we see, like uh, Dot is trying to cure Freddy, and uh, every attempt is uh, fruitless. There is no progress. Yes. There is no sense of achievement. There is, yeah. there's never a transformation in the character. It's not a change, uh, and maybe it's just, uh, you know, a reflection of uh, the filmmaker's nihilistic ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's uh, that's what life is for Paul Thomas Anderson: meaningless. <laughs> yeah. And there, there what are, would you? Yeah. There are there are people who said that at the end of the film, uh, Freddy does show some signs of improvement or, or yes. sanity. Uh, it's just yes. done in a very subtle way. I'm, I'm not sure yes. if I agree. I will probably need to watch it again. You, yeah. <laughs> I I thought he was getting slightly better. You, you thought um, okay, so it wasn't getting, all in vain. I don't I don't think so. But then you know, I suppose I'm an optimist when it comes to films. So <laughs> maybe maybe maybe. Uh, to to me, it seemed like he was getting a little better, 
but who knows what happens next because there was no real conclusion you don't know i wonder how he got here and what he's after is it really all so easy that he just came across us you are an everlasting I spirit you. i don't believe you you make this up I you just i know you're trying to calm me down but just say something that's true are you thoughtless in your remarks do your past failures bother you is your life a struggle is your behavior erratic what are you running from he's dangerous and he will be our undoing if we continue to have him here if we are not helping him then it is we who have failed him perhaps he's past help or insane So would you recommend the film? Well, it's it's, a, it's hard to recommend because it's not a film for everyone. And uh, no. I, I must also say that I'm not very good at recommending films. Uh-huh. <laughs> in, in, in fact, I sometimes have a kind of a sadist uh, demon inside, you know, like like Freddy yeah. in the film. I sometimes recommend films uh, like this to, to people that I sense will not like it. Just for my amusement, people who, uh-huh. who are just into action films or something. Oh, you cruel, so, cruel man! <laughs> so, so I said, "What's this film? You have the guy from Gladiator and the guy from Mission Impossible Three in an action-packed <laughs> face-to-face. You will love it." And then I just wait for the reaction. But I'm, you know, I'm not too bad because I didn't recommend Ted for the children, so I'm not too bad. Mm. What, 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 what about you? Would you recommend this film? <sighs> yeah, you're t- absolutely right. It's definitely not for everyone. Um, I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think it's a film about dysfunction in life, in family, in society in general, and new age spirituality, how it's attracting the lonely and the um, and the weak. Um, and and I think, in a way, it's it's it also compares two ways of poisoning yourself and others. I don't know if you maybe thought that too, how how Freddy, he would make alcohol, he would make moonshine out of, you know, paint thinner and, and cough syrup, and he would make this poisonous alcohol that he would drink and poison himself and sometimes... All right, so he was, creating, he was creating a circle of pain, let's say. And the master was doing the same, but his concoction was more of a, uh, you know, his concoction was, was, was words. He was the man who spews poison and, and kind of intoxicating philosophy and tries to cure others with it. So in a way, it was kind of you know par- parallel how one man was creating one sort of poison and the other one was creating another sort of poison, but he was poisoning others with it, whereas the first one was mostly poisoning himself. Because um, so so I think it, it was it was sort of a, of a fight between between two two men, you know, kind of locked horns got stuck in a fight uh, between it was a fight between a, a broken man and a charlatan in a way yeah, yeah. and and it, it was a kind of like a, a weird destructive dance that they had mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit homoerotic to be honest at times all right uh, okay I, not not that not I'm that not sure I'm if saying, I would agree with, with with that, but uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So so in so you know I think in a lot of ways this film is not as straightforward as as, as you might think. You know, it's about obviously it's about deeper things and and maybe two ways of of poisoning your your mind and or body. Um, but it's it's really it's really it's really sad. It's 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 a it's a rather depressing film, and it's really long, and not much happens. <laughs> so, so if you if you are willing to suffer that to see some really good performances, uh-huh. uh, and um, and some character um, studies, then you know go for it. But be prepared. It's a it's a it's a rather difficult movie. So. Oh, you're better at recommending than I am. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to make a very silly parallelism here between the two films that we discussed today, particularly uh-huh. between the character of Mark Wahlberg and the one of uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I, uh-huh. I, I want to point out the childlike personality and the immature behavior in both cases. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's silly because that also means comparing Philip Seymour Hoffman to a teddy bear. <laughs> but, but who wouldn't want to hug Philip Seymour Hoffman? <laughs> oh, 
again, now, like, if you think about it, there, there is definitely a codependent relationship in both cases. So there, yeah. there is something of a parallelism uh, there, let's say. Um, yes, that will make people want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said before, uh, after watching the film, I wasn't sure if I liked it. I was convinced that I had watched something, you know, the, I had so, watched something different, something special. And yeah. it, I think it grew more on me the more I thought about it. Uh, and I appreciate uh, all the, how conventional it is, how challenging. And it, it doesn't give you everything done. You have to figure out things by yourself. And I think it might get uh, richer with second viewings. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, if you're willing to. to I, I, I am planning to watch it uh, again okay. sometime soon. Well. So, and again, yeah, there are very things, many things to like. There are some uh, very interesting uh, dialogues, uh, very well-drawn characters. The photography is great. Uh, the music can be very unsettling at times. He likes doing that. He likes doing like, there is a moment where it's like, it, it might be like, a, you know, any normal situation. Like he, he plays some kind of creepy or scary music on it. Just, just weird stuff. But I think, at least technically, uh, nobody can argue that technically is quite masterful. The master. Mm. Well, I, I don't want to be a downer here, but uh, to be honest, I can't wait for Christmas to end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nothing really against Christmas, but uh, not, not against Christmas itself, but it's about uh, its length. It's just too long. I don't know if Jesus oh. agree. <laughs> just goes on forever. The Christmas season, if you live in the in the UK, it goes from uh, September to December. Yeah. And if you know, if you're lucky, uh, you don't celebrate the three ways, man, like we do in Spain. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. you would, you know, Christmas would go until the sixth of January. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just just we note, uh, following the Pope's recent updates to the Bible, uh, remember to remove the oxen and the donkeys from the nativity. But for those atheists like like me, don't worry because it will be over soon. Well, to be on to be honest, I mean the, the you know the, the Christians stole the, the the Christmas season from from a much older pagan religions. Just absolutely. The, so so I don't I don't celebrate it as a Christian holiday. I just celebrate it as a holiday, <laughs> <laughs> a family holiday, which is nice. Yeah, in the end, it was a blend of different religions. So you could just celebrate it having a blend of. I don't yeah. know, different alcoholic want, drinks or something. If you want donkey donkeys in your uh, in your house in a little manger, just, knock yourself out. Just put some Star Wars figures in it. Ah, that's just even better. <laughs> if you want to mix religions. <laughs> okay, let's end on a merry note. Uh, Mark has picked a Christmas song for us, and that is... Okay, um, I'm going to go for one of my modern favourites and it's a Scottish band who many will probably know and it's Frightened Rabbit and they've got a song which they've recorded twice I think it's the second version is the best and it's called It's Christmas So We'll Stop and it's just about being nice to people a bit extra nice to people over Christmas because it's Christmas and it's, it's just oh. beautiful <laughs> so that's... It's, it's, not, it's not like a cheery Santa's Curry type song but you know the, those are the best Christmas songs as evidenced by the Pogues so yes Frightened Rabbit It's Christmas So We'll Stop and that, that's it for uh, this uh, special Christmas episode uh, number 29 of the Movie Wave. Thank you, Susanna, for joining the show. Thank you very much. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Movie Wave. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And a uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. We'll be surfing Merry the wave next year. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's Christmas, so we'll start. It's on with the lights to warn the dark It can cloak elsewhere As the rot stops for today Let the rot stop just for one day Only good red eyes, red suits and faces will radiate And the cold will hide its face Now the cold's turned away we can be best friends with the people we hate Cause we've all got blood And it's warmer than you think Yeah, it is warm and it is thick We all breathe out clouds we were built to give at least once each year And that's better than ever, I guess And life might never get better than this
podcast is a production of Calvinet Entertainment for Tricycle Magazine. Find out more at tricycle.co.uk. That's T-R-I-S-I-C-K-L-E dot co.uk. Some wine on our breath, put some love on our tongues Don't forget the names I called you on Christmas Eve In fact, forget the entire year Don't reflect, just pretend You won't feel scared, you won't feel a thing Cause it's all been tucked away And once you're tucked in bed you hug on to the day for the last few seconds Your cradle face is protected from the wind And I'll protect you, I promise I will And the rest of our lives will be just like Christmas with fewer toys You're a good girl, I'm a good boy, so I Okay, welcome to the Movie Wave podcast. I am you. Uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a new introduction? <laughs> <laughs> Already fucking up. <laughs> I, I am the new shit. That's what you said. <laughs>